This week on Worldview, India slams China for stopping another terrorist designation at the UN Security Council. Why are these listings so important and what are New Delhi's next options? Hello and welcome to Worldview at the Hindu with me, Sohasini Heather. This is episode 74 and yes, we are celebrating India's 75th Independence Day anniversary this week. Now back to the United Nations and the scene that played out there this week seems strangely familiar. After India and the US brought a joint proposal to the Security Council to designate a man called Rauf Asghar, the deputy chief of the Jaish e Mohammed, and of course the brother of its chief, Masood Azhar, as a global terrorist under UNSC Resolution 1267, China placed a technical hold on the listing. We're going to tell you all about the 1267 committee and why India's envoy at the United Nations really lashed out in a speech this week, possibly anticipating China's move just a day ahead of it and said that the UN Security Council's sanctions regime's credibility is quote-unquote at an all-time low. Now, in that speech, Ambassador Ruchira Kamboj lashed out at China for blocking terrorist designations, at Pakistan for harboring terrorists and for glorifying their acts. Remember, former Prime Minister Imran Khan actually calling Osama bin Laden a martyr, at Afghanistan for the Taliban regime's support to terror groups, and even the United Nations Secretariat itself for not including Indian inputs on all these groups when it put out its latest situation report that the UN Secretary General had presented. An effective functioning of the sanctions committees requires them to become more transparent, accountable and objective. The practice of placing holds and blocks on listing requests without giving any justification must end. It is most regrettable that genuine and evidence-based listing proposals pertaining to some of the most notorious terrorists in the world are being placed on hold. Double standards and continuing politicization have rendered the credibility of the sanctions regime at an all-time low. So before we go any further, let's just do a quick basic explainer on what is the 1267 Sanctions Committee. The 1267 Sanctions Committee is one of several UN Security Council sanctions regimes that impose restrictions on people, on individuals, entities, others considered a global terrorism threat. In 1999, the UNSC Resolution 1267 decided on preparing a regularly updated list of members of the Taliban and the Al-Qaeda that was being sheltered there at that time. Chiefly, of course, Osama bin Laden on that list, as well as allied groups. Remember, this is two years before 9-11 attacks. Subsequently, the listing went over the years from focusing on the Taliban to focusing on Al-Qaeda and then on the Islamic State, ISIL, ISIS, IS, Khorasan as it's known. Under the resolution, which has been amended several times, as I said, especially after the 9-11 attacks, those on the list have three major restrictions on them and they're comprehensive. One, they cannot be allowed to travel out of the jurisdiction they are found in and they must be prosecuted effectively. So this mandates UN states to do this. Second, that they must not be allowed to access their funds, access any terror link funds. They should be frozen. All their own funds should be frozen. And they must not be allowed to access any weapons, guns, ammunition and so forth. Now, since 1999, hundreds of names of individuals and entities have been added to the list. A large number of them in Afghanistan, a very large number of those estimated more than 120 are based in Pakistan, including anti-India groups, particularly lashkar e toiba and jaish e Mohammed, which are, we are going to speak about right now. After the IC-814 hijacking in 99, 
and the 9-11 attacks, Jaish e Mohammed was banned by the UN Security Council 1267 in October 2001. The Lashkar e Toiba was, uh, was in fact banned in May 2005. But that wasn't it all because India still faced a major uphill battle in designating their leaders since then. China, in particular, holding or blocking the designations of Masood Azhar, who was finally listed all the way in 2019. So Jaish e Mohammed in 2001, but Masood Azhar in 2019 after the Pulwama attack. Even Mumbai attack mastermind Hafiz Saeed and his Lashkar e Toiba commander Zakir Rahman Lakhvi were only designated in December 2008 right after the Mumbai attacks. After that, India proposed listing Masood Azhar in 2009, again in 2016 and 17, before finally succeeding in 2019. But if you thought China had changed its mechanism, it hadn't, because in June this year, China then again placed a hold on designating the Lashkar-e-Toyba's deputy chief, Hafiz Saeed's brother-in-law, Abdul Rahman Maki, and now in August has placed a hold on designating Rauf Askar. So it is about these two groups and the main leadership that India is still struggling to designate. What is the evidence against Rauf Askar? To begin with, when his brother Masood Azhar was in jail in India, Rauf Askar planned and executed the IC-814 hijacking, taking nearly 200 passengers and crew hostage, flying them to Kandahar. Remember, one Indian hostage died as well. The world really watched the surrender of Masood Azhar and two other terrorists in Kandahar in 1999 by India to Taliban officials. So therefore, there should really be no doubt about the nature of, uh, of the attack and how it was planned without Masood Azhar being there. If it was his group, who in that group had planned it other than his brother? Rauf Azhar, remember, is deputy chief of the Jaish e Mohammed. He has been de facto chief when Masood Azhar has been taken into custody. And this, of course, is a group responsible for the IC-814 hijack where Masood Azhar and those two other militants, Omar Sheikh Saeed and Mushtaq Zargar, also wanted for terror attacks, were, uh, were released. The 2001 parliament attack, the 2003 assassination attempt on Pakistan President Musharraf, and the 2016 attack at the Pathan Court Air Force Base. So after a hiatus, it seemed 2016 was the next big attack. And then 2014 to 2018, we saw many attacks on army camps. There was Jammu uh, in Jammu and Kashmir, there was Katwa, Samba, Nadrota, Tangdar, Sanjwan, Jajarkoti, and others. And then in 2019, the Pulwama bombing of a CRPF convoy in which 40 paramilitary personnel were killed. Not just that, Asghar is wanted for recruiting, for radicalizing, for training terrorists for the attack, raising funds, liaising with other groups like the Lashkar-e-Toiba. And then finally, he's on the US's foreign terrorist list. He's on India's most wanted terrorist list. And since 2019, has been apparently in Pakistani jail, convicted on terror-related charges. So given the US, India, and Pakistan all see him as a terrorist, why has the UN Security Council not been able to designate him yet? Given all of the above, Indian officials have said that the evidence against Asghar, as with the cases of Maki, wanted for the Mumbai attacks and for the Lashkar-e-Toiba attacks on India, is quote-unquote incontrovertible. In fact, officials said that China's moves show its political agenda in favor of Pakistan and Pakistan-based groups. What has China's response been so far? China has said it needs time, that it's asking for more time and placed a technical hold to study the listing a little more completely. It hasn't put a complete block on the two listings, which last six months apiece. And then can it, they, uh, China can actually extend the hold for another six months each. So it could be a year before we see a decision. 
And China says it's simply following the committee's own rules. So given this tough stance from China, what are India's options? And we'll just broaden it a bit to see what could possibly happen in the world of geopolitics. Everything is possible. One, India could ramp up international pressure on China to change its position. This has not always been successful given terror listings are not the biggest priority in various global negotiations with China. Look right now at Taiwan on trade, Indo-Pacific tensions, human rights and others. The global war against terror has also, of course, been diluted after many countries, including India, have opened ties with the Taliban. So a lack of unity at the global level is also being seen. The second thing India could do is deal directly, bilaterally with China to convince it to shift. This is equally difficult given India's own negotiations with China are really focused on the border standoff since 2020. This is something the government has said is its primary focus, as well as some other issues. However, if China agrees to terror designate to these terror designations, it could actually be a way for a breakthrough in other parts of the relationship. So that's something that must be considered. A red flag may have been put up by the fact that the two proposals on Maki and on Asgar were joint India-US proposals, unlike the past when India brought more countries on board. Uh, so another option for India could be that it amends its proposal to include other sponsors, make it more broad-based, do all the negotiations before they go to the UN Security Council rather than after. The fourth thing is open a dialogue with Pakistan on bringing these terrorists to justice. That would be a start. Pakistan is, of course, hopeful of being let off its grey list at the Financial Action Task Force, FATF, that we have covered here on Worldview. So if that happens this year, any action on terrorism Pakistan takes will assist its case. India's own review at the FATF also begins this year. So there is something to talk about between India and Pakistan when it comes to terrorism. And the fifth, India could propose amendments to the United Nations Processes on Sanctions Committee that it has been so critical of. Uh, that shouldn't allow one member to hold the rest back from these terror designations. Also, India could push for the adoption of the Comprehensive Convention on International Terrorism, known as the CCIT, a treaty originally proposed by India in 1996. In fact, in October this year, India will host a unique counter-terrorism committee meeting in Delhi and Mumbai, where all 15 UN Security Council members, their diplomats, will be present, including, of course, China, US and Russia, so that is a great forum to bring up some of these ideas as well. Remember, the war against terrorism continues to be the long haul. And the fight at the United Nations that India has waged has been over more than two decades with some setbacks and many successes. While India must continue to push China to reverse its stand on the listings, it is equally important to focus on the implementation of existing UN mandates on fighting terrorism. That really is the big picture. Let's get you some reading recommendations and I was really scarring the shelves. I think I may have spoken about this book in the past, but if I haven't, The China-Pakistan Axis, Asia's New Geopolitics by Andrew Small, really tells you about why China continues to support Pakistan even on these listings. There are some books on UN and terrorism, a book on the laws, 9-11 and the rise of global anti-terrorism law, how the United Nations Security Council rules the world. Uh, this is a collection of essays, each of them quite important, brought out by Cambridge Press, Cambridge University Press. Then there is the United Nations and Counterterrorism, Global Hegemonies, Power and Identities. This is by Alice Martini. It's a very academic book, but interesting. One book, in fact, that looks at the frustrations of India negotiating at the UN Security Council is by Ambassador Cambodia's predecessor a decade ago, who is now Minister Hardeep Puri. 
It's called Perilous Interventions, the Security Council and the Politics of Chaos. Then let me get you some books on the Taliban and groups in Pakistan by foreign authors, because you might find this interesting side by side along with your studies on terrorism at the United Nations. Taliban at War, this is by Antonio Giustozzi. From, uh, he looks from 2001 to 2021. And he is also coming out with one called Jihadism in Pakistan, Al-Qaeda, Islamic State and the Local Militants. Uh, this is a book coming out in 2023, also very important. In their own words, Understanding the Lashkar-e-Toiba by Christine Fair. She really has researched what the LET says about itself. I also want to tell you about some books written by Pakistani authors who have put out a lot on terrorism at considerable risk to themselves. One of them I'll tell you about even being killed. There's Zahid Hussain. It's called The No-Win War, The Paradox of U.S.-Pakistan Relations in Afghanistan's Shadow. Zahid Hussain's also written The Scorpion's Tale and Frontline Pakistan, all well worth a read. Another Pakistani author, the one I told you about, who was actually found murdered in, in, in Pakistan, and that case has been quite a controversy. His book called Inside Al-Qaeda and the Taliban, Beyond Bin Laden and 9-11, is definitely worth reading about the links between all these groups. And then there's Ahmed Me, The Talibanization of Pakistan from 9-11 to 26-11. All of these definitely worth a read at some point. We hope you read them and come back to us with your suggestions as well. From the team here, we'd like to thank you for joining Worldview and wish you a very happy Independence Day.